my title slide today is Triggered. All right? Triggered. I just love that picture. Triggered. Let's read a proverb together. Proverbs 19 and verse 11. I want us all to read it together. It says, People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. What an interesting proverb. To be honest, it's actually a picture. It's a picture of two roads that you can take, of a choice that we get to make. In life, you're going to get triggered, right? We just did a baby dedication. Just if it's only kids, you will be triggered. (laughs) Something, someone will trigger you. You'll feel your emotion rising. You'll feel your blood pumping. And you'll feel the need to be right or the need to show that you're right in some situation. So you've got two roads before you. You can get angry or you can overlook. It's a choice that you need to make. The proverb makes it that it's our responsibility to how we act in being triggered. The proverb shows us which is the right road to take when we get triggered. Will you get angry, which will take from you? Or will you overlook, which will add to you? Let me show you. Nina, today you really ticked me off when you told everyone that I was old. Sit down and just listen to this. (laughs) Sit down and listen. You always just walk away. That's your problem. Right? You never actually listen to me. You may not hear me, but you never listen to me and you just tick me off. You know, this morning, you just made it my fault that Dobie didn't go to the toilet out the back. You could have opened the door, but no, you made it that I opened the door. I'm just sick and tired of being blamed for everything. When are you just going to wake up and treat me the way that I deserve? Wow. Don't clap. Don't clap. <laughs> terrible. No one here feels uplifted by going to church this morning and hearing that little exchange. And you could imagine that that was a kind of peek into our household that we would be in some trouble. See, the majority of you now, because of the way I did that, kind of feel disdain for me and hopefully you feel sorry for Nina. Even if by some measure you agree with me. Right? You feel I could have done it in a different way or I definitely should have done it in a different setting. I want to make a confession this morning. The majority of the worst times of my life are a result of an uncontrolled outburst of anger. That's been my truth. Right? The, the, the worst things that have happened many times in my life are because I had an uncontrolled outburst of anger, where I tried to dominate someone or tried to show that I'm right, or I was so frustrated that I decided I'm not going to show self-control. See, when a person gets angry, it always results negatively somewhere in their relationships. The words said, the tone used, the facial expressions, or even worse, the, maybe the physical posture that you took scares someone and makes them feel uncomfortable. Sometimes people will fight back 
But many times people just lose trust in you. you know, even this morning as I did that skit, there would have been some people who felt very, very uncomfortable because what happens, it just reminded you of a situation you were in. You're reminded of a, of a family that, that you grew up in or a, or a marriage situation that you were in and, and those type of things happened. So anger, whether you're right or wrong, will always leave you empty. Sometimes you can be right, but that doesn't excuse your anger. And that's why the Bible here in this proverb tells us to restrain our anger. Now I can hear someone going, well, I, I can't control it. It just happens. If I just get angry, I just... I want you to listen carefully to this. When you get angry, it's you getting angry. Even if it's a half a millisecond where you decide you're the one making the decision to get angry. You could say to me, well, Jesus got angry and you'd be right because he did get angry. He got so angry one time that he went and overturned all the temple tables because he saw what was happening to the people. His heart was for the people. But I want to tell you that that wasn't a reaction. That wasn't an uncontrolled outburst of anger. The Bible clearly tells us that Jesus went away, takes the time to make a whip of cords and then takes the action. Because what it was, it wasn't about demeaning people. It wasn't his heart and his zeal for his father's house, which was supposed to be a house of prayer, was now used to dominate people and use people and treat people very, very poorly. So even though he got angry, it wasn't uncontrolled. It was a response and not a reaction. So can we agree this morning that anger is bad? Or even if you can't agree with that, let's agree this morning that it's good sense, as our proverb says, to restrain our anger. But this morning I'm not preaching on anger. It's actually the second half of the verse that I'd like to concentrate on. Right? I think we can all agree anger's not really going to do us any good. Majority of us would have had experiences where anger was very negative in our lives. And so I really want to concentrate on the other road, on the other choice that you have, where it says they earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Unfortunately, human nature loves to find the wrongs of people. We love to hear the latest gossip. You watch those kind of current affair shows, like 60 Minutes or Today Tonight, they're full of stories of people's wrongs. They'll even chase someone down the street to, to, to tell them about the thing they did wrong. You know, I've thought to myself, what would I do if I was somewhere and all of a sudden Channel 7, you know, chased me? I thought, what would I do? I thought, it's no point. And you, you know, I, what I thought I'd do is I would just talk really, uh, yeah, uh, and I'd just make it really bad TV. <laughs> Does it make sense? It's just, uh, okay, yes. Uh, uh, and, and they would just go, oh, we can't have this guy on TV. It's horrible. <laughs> right? And uh, that, that's smart, see? You know, I, uh, I listen to a lot of news programs on the radio. And uh, almost every news interview is designed 
to trick someone into saying something that will make it look like they did something bad. That, that gotcha moment. That's what the news media is trying to do. Like, like they, they want to just kind of get that gotcha. Ha, ah, gotcha now. You've said this, you've done that. Political parties from both sides make an art form of pointing out what's wrong with the other group instead of telling us what they could actually do right. If a sportsman gets into trouble, it's all over the news. And the media sets itself up as having the moral high ground and then go about holding people to this impossible standard. But it also happens in families. You know, when my kids were still at home, Tori couldn't wait to tell me the name that Rachel had called her. Rachel just loved getting Jack into trouble. And Jack was only, only too willing to tell me all the things I was doing wrong. <laughs> the only person I never said anything about was Nina because she's actually perfect. <laughs> Even in the church, we love to hear the latest gossip. So easy to believe the bad thing about some, what someone's told you about someone else. Did you hear about the latest preacher to fall? Do you know what Sylvia did last night? Oh, you wouldn't believe what Reuben's been up to. He did what to who? Right, we, we love that. If I told you a rumour about Pastor Jason, by tomorrow morning, it would be all over the church. It's not how it should be. Yeah. To be honest, I'm pretty not that much different. It's the human psyche, right? I, I kind of want to know things as well. But it's not wise. It doesn't help us. The Bible tells us here that we've got to overlook the faults of others, not note them. People who overlook faults will find esteem. They will have honour. They will be trusted. I think one of the greatest things that I would like a character, I would like to be trusted. I'd like to have said of me, Mark is trustworthy. I think that would be one of the highest compliments you could pay me. Isn't it amazing? Anger pushes people away. Overlooking draws people in. Shouldn't that be how the church is? God understands this as well. Because it says it's God's kindness that leads people to repentance. It isn't the anger of God telling them how bad everyone is, telling them how wrong they are, what they should have done, could have done, I'm going to get you. That doesn't draw people to God. That makes them run from God. And many, many people don't give their lives to Christ because that's how they believe God thinks of them. They think that God's angry, mad. And what that does, I'm going to run away. Why would I come purposely into a place where someone's going to yell at me and be mean to me and be angry with me? I'm going to run from that place. But when there's kindness... When there's love, when there's grace, when there's that drawing in, that draws people to repentance. That's the good news. That's why the gospel is called good news. Because God is saying, I'm no longer angry with you because of what Jesus did. So the proverb says this, people with good sense restrain their anger They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. Now the word overlooking here in the scripture is the Hebrew word abar. And what it means is it means to pass by. It means to walk past. 
See, to overlook a person's fault doesn't mean that you choose not to see that fault or kind of give that fault some credit. What it is, is I decide to walk past that fault. I'm going past it. See, you'll never be able to make out that I have no faults because I have many, many faults. My faults are as obvious as a large nose on my face. But hopefully you'll decide to walk past them, that you'll go on from it. What happens when you overlook a fault is that you decide not to judge a person by their faults, but you love them for who they are. It doesn't mean that you forget or allow yourself to become a victim again, but it does mean that you don't let what happens stick to you and be the kind of driving force of your personality because you overlook that fault. I think King David with Saul is one of our greatest sort of kind of uh, examples. Saul, his leader, was king, but he was a terrible man and he was hated or he was scared and insecure. So he tried to kill David. He consulted demons. He was doing terrible things. So David left. But what you find, that he doesn't go around and tell everyone. He doesn't go around and, and do that. No, he kept Saul in a place of honour. He just left the situation. Sometimes something bad happens to us by someone who should know better. And we go about and tell everyone, oh, you see what he did to me, she did this to me. Oh, I can't believe what they did that to oh, no. All these different things. Whereas when you overlook, you say, okay, I know that happened. I'm not going to leave myself in this situation or I continue to be abused, but I don't need to go and tell every Tom, Dick and Harry about it because they actually have no bearing on the situation. Yeah. And all you're trying to do, this is why it says this, right? It says bitterness, a root of bitterness defiles many. So if I get angry, I might be angry, I'll give myself some trouble. But when I get bitter, I bring you into it. Neil, did you know what Jason did to me? It's unbelievable. And then there was what Beck did to me as well. It was terrible, Neil. Was you, you, you understand? I have to bring everyone into the circumstances and a root of bitterness defiles many. And if you don't deal with your anger, eventually it becomes bitter and then you actually become defined by what happened to you. Now, the word fault here doesn't mean a fault like having bad breath or, or getting drunk. The, the Hebrew word means that when someone has done the wrong thing by you, they've wronged you and it's got into you, it's personal. And this is the crux of what I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting to get into our hearts today. Can you or will you allow yourself to be wronged? Big question. In this society that demands its rights, where the individual is king, can you overlook someone wronging you? Is this scriptural? Is this something the Bible tells us to do? Or is this just my latest philosophy? Well, let's have a look at the scripture. 1 Peter 2 verse 19. For it's commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering, because he's conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and you endure? 
But if you suffer for doing good and endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, look at this last line. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That's how we look at faults. That's how we overlook. We don't look at the fault. We look at the one who judges justly. Who are you looking to when you're wrongfully accused? When something happens, now if you do something wrong, right? If, if your boss gets mad at you and you knew you did it wrong and you just take it, oh yes, good. But it's not a comment. It's just when you get told off for doing something you didn't do and then you still take it. That's what this is saying, right? It's, it's building a credit for you because God is the one who looks after you. The Bible says promotion comes neither from the east or from the west, but it comes from the Lord, right? Work for God. Don't work for your boss. God will ask you to do, and you'll be a great worker. It'll help you every time. You know, Jesus, he did it. He didn't need to be baptised. He was God. He was God made flesh. Because that's the right thing to do. I'm going to get baptised. Then what happens? He's asked to pay temple tax. He's like, well, I'm greater than the temple. But it goes on, nevertheless, I offend them. He pays the tax. It's all of the sins that we want to kind of cry out today, all of those things were happening in Jesus' time. There's nothing of sin. There's nothing that, that we want to lambast society for right now that wasn't happening in Jesus' day. Yet Jesus didn't address any of those things, but went around and talked about the kingdom. He didn't address all the faults of society and where society was going wrong and all the different sins that they were doing. No, he just kept talking about the kingdom. He kept on talking about his father. That's what he did. Paul writing to the Corinthians says this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? That's very convicting words. Because if you make some accusation against me, I'm going to stand up. And you're going to think I should. But I'm going to trust myself to the one who judges rightly. You know, I think these are some of the most convicting words in the Bible. What a Christ-trusting attitude. Why not let yourself be wronged? Why not let yourself be cheated? That's awesome Christian maturity. I actually think the more that, that you can do that is really one of the indications of how you mature you understood the things of Christ. Paul knows a thing or two about overlooking. You know, one of the things I hate is when people pull down a leader, especially when that leader has done something wrong. There are whole Instagram and Facebook pages designed 
with the thought of pulling down Christian leaders and pointing their mistakes and flaws. And yes, unfortunately, not all of our leaders and some of the people we look up to in the church world have acted unwisely and acted terrible and done some terrible things. But do we have to go about and just keep muddying everyone's water? You know what that preacher did? You know what that preacher did? You know what that church does? You know what this church does? Why do we go around having to point it all out, muddying everyone's water? See, people are men of God. Someone is a man of God. When you're first attracted to someone and in the ministry, you're attracted to the man of God. You see their gifting. You see their ministry. You see their, their anointing that's on their life. You see the God factor. But the longer that you're with someone, you start to see the man of. Where we're always a man of God, a woman of God. So you're attracted initially to the of God. The more you're with someone, you see that they're just a flawed man. And that's why we don't look to a man or a woman. We look to Jesus because he's always of God because he is God. You know, there were bad people around in Paul's day who were preaching the gospel. It's not a modern phenomenon. But Paul had this overlooking attitude about men of God who weren't actually men of God. Philippians 1 verse 15. It's true that some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach Christ about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know I've been appointed to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ. They preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. But that doesn't matter. I'm going to walk past this. I'm going to overlook their fault. Whether their motives are false or genuine, their message about Christ is preached either way, so I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. It's God who makes it happen. It's the anointing, the vessel. The vessel may be a bit messed up, but the gift is God and that won't be messed up. I could have been doing terrible things this week. I haven't. All right, don't gossip about that. Right? I could have been doing terrible things this week, but God will still anoint me because it's the gift in me. Eventually, my own actions will bring me down. Right? My own actions will do that. Right? But God is still able to do good things. Romans 12. Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath. It's written, is mine to avenge. I'll repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy, everyone say enemy. Enemy, enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. See, the, the key to overlooking is to walk past, is to love your enemies and to do something for them. You know, we all know in many weddings have the great chapter of Corinthians 13, the chapter of love. What does it say? Love holds no record of wrongs. 
I walked past. Doesn't mean wrong didn't happen. Doesn't mean you didn't know the wrong. But I hold no record. It's even more stark when it comes to Christian brothers and sisters. 1 Peter 4 verse 8 says, most important of all. So the most important thing, not second, not third, the most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers, overlooks, walk past a multitude of sins. When I love someone, I don't judge them, I love them. You know, I love Nina. You know, to be honest, there's only one time that I've ever kind of like yelled at her in an angry way. In 27 years of marriage, my dad had just died. So it was a long time ago. My dad, had just, my dad actually would have turned 100 wow. on, uh, on Friday. And that. So I'm feeling a bit melancholy about my dad today and this week. But, um, but when he had died and we'd already arranged a holiday about two weeks later, Jack was like, I think about nine months old, very small, little, and uh, he was asleep in the car. And Nina closed the door, but it, it kind of, the wind got her and it slammed. And I looked at her and I went, that is the most singularly stupid thing I've ever seen anyone do. Right? It's, it's so stark. I still remember to this day, and you do too, hey. <laughs> right? Like, and, and it was like, because I, I, I just, I knew all the emotion of everything that was going on. And then that night, Nina was so good. She goes, she didn't get mad at me. She, didn't do it. she just goes, Mark, I, I just don't know how to be with you right now. Right? And it made me realize that I was allowing my grief to kind of impact her. But that's literally the only time that I've ever like angrily like yelled at her or said something like that. Right? But well, I lost my train of thought here. Let me go back to my notes. That's right. See, I love her. Now, you came up to me and you told me something about her, something negative about her, something that wasn't good, a fault in her life. If you came and told me, I may even agree with you. I might sit there and go, yes, Nina shouldn't have done that. Yes, Nina shouldn't have said that. Yes, Nina shouldn't have acted in that particular way. But it doesn't make me say, well, that's it, I'm, I'm divorcing her now. She's got a fault, Right? I love her. And if you keep coming to me and telling me, but Nina did this and Nina did that and Nina did this, you know what? I'm not going to get uptight with Nina. I'm going to get uptight with you. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because my love for her overcomes a multitude of sins. My love for my brothers and sisters. What does it say? Most important of all, love one another. Love one another. A deep love for one another shows um, covers, walks past, overlooks a, multiple, a, mo a multitude of sins. Tip, husbands and wives, don't criticise your in-laws. Just a great tip. No matter what, your spouse... All right? They love their parents. 
They walk past their faults. They've overlooked their faults because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 John 1 verse 9. These are, maybe you should close your eyes and, and, and put fingers in your ears because this is heavy stuff. Whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 1 John 3, verse 14. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. 1 John 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. That's pretty convicting, but I got one more. This is the ultimate. This is literally the ultimate. If there's no other reason that you listen to me, please listen for this reason today. John 13, verse 35. By this, all, everyone say all. All All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's God's best method of evangelism. It's the loudest message of God's love that someone has. Because every other place, people are judged by their outside, by their speech, what they have, what they haven't got, by their background, by their attitude, by all these different things. But in the house of God, I overlook, I walk past, and I love that person. I walk past the wrongs done to me, the words said of me, the actions taken around me. I forgive and I love wrongdoers. If you think about it, it's one of the attributes of God, isn't it? Every day God overlooks. God doesn't judge me for what I should be judged for. God overlooks. And he's done it all forever. Abraham was a liar. God still used him. David was an adulterer and murderer. God still loved him. Noah was a drunkard. God still used him. Rahab was a prostitute. God still loved her. Jacob was a schemer and manipulator. God still used him. Maggie Magdalene had seven demons and God still loved her. Paul put Christians to death and God still used him. Peter denied Christ three times. God still loved him. Mark Elmendorf has sinned, lied, manipulated, got angry, reacted wrongly, and several million other things. And God still has decided to use me and to love me. God, who is love, is the greatest overlookerer. I'm making up my own language now. He's the greatest overlooker in the universe. And what's my reaction? I esteem him greatly. That's my attitude towards God. Why? Because he doesn't look and point out all my faults. He loves me and uses me regardless. And that doesn't make me go, what can I get away with? It makes me go, how much more can I love him? How much more can I know him? Look at our key verse again. 
People with good sense restrain their anger. They earn esteem by overlooking wrongs. God, who has every right to get angry with me, who overlooks my wrongdoings, yes, I esteem him. You know, Genesis 9 tells us a story. It tells us a story of Noah, who has a bad day, gets drunk, ends up all kind of nude and all these different things. And when it talks about Noah's nakedness, what it's saying, he just acted poorly. He acted in a shameful way. There was something shameful about what he did. And what happens is that one of his sons decides, no, I'm going to let this all happen. Someone else covers his nakedness, walks past. I'm going to do and protect where this person fell down, over, had a terrible time, did wrong things. I'm going to cover that thing. I'm not going to be the one to gossip that thing. I'm going to cover that thing. Trust me, there's not a person in this room who wouldn't cringe if all of a sudden on this screen we had video of some of the shameful things that you did. Then we, we could empty the church in like about one second. <laughs> right? There'd, we, there'd be a, a stampede out of here if I started to go, hey, I got a video of what you did. I got a video of this thing. I got a video. I got a video. I got a video. We've all done shameful things. We've all done things we're ashamed of. And yet God, who has seen all the videos, right? he's seen them all. He was there. There's nothing hidden from him. He knows all your dirty laundry. He knows all those shameful things. He knows your shameful thoughts. Even worse, like, at least, you, you know, like, if you did okay in the actions, like Nina, right? She's had some thoughts, though. <laughs> I guarantee you that. He knows your thoughts. But he still continues to walk past, to overlook, and he covers, and he chooses not to see it all. The Bible says he puts our sin behind his back. The Bible says he takes our sin and throws it in the sea of forgetfulness. And there's a big sign, no fishing allowed. Right? You did this thing this week? God, but you know what I did on Thursday? No, I don't. But God, you remember? When I, no, I actually don't. The enemy remembers. He's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to bring it up. Your conscience remembers and you're feeling bad and guilt remembers. He wants to make you feel even worse. But God, he's forgotten. Doesn't mean he doesn't know, but he's chosen to forget. He's chosen to walk past. That's there. I'm here. You understand? That's a great picture. God's not living there in your shame and in your faults and in the things that you've done wrong and bad. God's living in your future. What does God think about you? You have a future and a hope. That's his thoughts. That's his thoughts. I want the musicians to come. Isn't the marvellous, wonderful, all-encompassing grace of God awesome? Yeah. Undeserved favour. You know, one of the requirements that Paul gives to Timothy when he's detailing who should become a pastor, who should become a leader in the church, is it says he should not be given to violence. Pretty standard. 
It's a good thing. I don't really want anyone on staff who's going to punch you in the nose or punch me in the nose. But it's not actually talking about violence as, as a punch or like MMA. The word is contentious. Someone's always going to fight over this. It's black, no, it's white. It's up, no, it's down. Right? No, no it's, it, it's saying, I don't need someone who's always fighting, who's always needing to prove they're right, who's got this insecurity that's in them, that, that drives them to act in, in, in ways that aren't great. I don't need someone like that being a leader. I need someone who can walk past. To be honest, I am a professional secret keeper. Right? Many people in this room have told me stuff. Right? I could embarrass a lot of people in this room. I'm not going to. All right? And I never would. Right? It's not for me to do. I want to be a safe place when you come. When you can come and tell me something that's shameful. If it's criminal, we'll deal with it. But if it's not, we'll kind of like try and sort it out. And we'll bring help to the situation. I'm not going to add shame. I'm going to do what I can to let the love of God help me to walk past, but then also help you walk in to where you're going. That's what a leader should do. If I'm contentious, if I'm fighting all the time, I'm going to, well, you did this and you did that. And you leave seeing me like this. Because all I've done is add burdens to you. When what I'm supposed to do as a man of God is I'm supposed to take burdens from you. One of the goals of my sermon, even this morning, is to release you from the burdens and the faults and the shameful things that you've done so that you can walk into where God is actually taking you to. I want leaders in our church to be people who draw people in, not push people away. And this is key to how we should be as an act as a church. The church right now, and we're going to look at this next week. Next week, we're going to have a look at religious discrimination. We're going to have a look at a whole lot of things. And how do you work or go to school or study with the people who are hostile to you and who hate the church. And I've got all sorts of ideas about the church. And the church is on the nose right now. The church is seen as hate speech. And the Bible is hate speech. How do you work in situations like that? We're going to look at that next week and address that next week. But right now, that's how many people see the church. The church used to be seen as going to help you, love you, be a good part of society. Now many people feel the church hurt society. We're mean to people. We're judging people. We're horrible to people. And that's because we've said we're angry with you. You do this and you do that and you do this and you do that. You know, Paul said, you know, like if, I, if I'm going to get mad with the sexually immoral people of the world, I'm just going to go mad. It's just too hard. It's too much. I'm not going to do it. I'll deal with it in the church because now I'm living in a in a way, but what happens is that we're gonna, we, we, we need to start to love people. Love people. Love people. Overlook their issues. Walk past their shameful things. Talk and speak with them. Do things for them. 
Let the love of God in you draw them to repentance before God. If there's a brother or sister that you've got an issue with right now, give it up. Surrender it. You can tell me what they did and I can agree that they were cads. I can agree that they were bad. I can agree that they did. But give it up. Don't let them steal another day from you. Give it up. Love them. Pray for them. You know, one of the great things of a daily relationship of walking with God is this, and and I'm going over time now, but this is just important. One of the best things about having a time with God every day is that God won't let you go on with what it is you want to pray about or read about or do until you sort it out. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, it's a daily prayer. It's a daily prayer. And what happens is as you have a daily relationship with God, I remember that thing that Nina did. I remember that thing that someone else did. I remember that thing and I go, God, just bless them. Sometimes it takes a while. The Bible says to pray for them. Pray for your enemies. And sometimes I, I pray with them, get a brick. I pray they have an accident. I, I pray, you know, like, no, 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 that's not how you pray. You might start there, right? But then you just pray. And what happens? Eventually, your spirit catches up. Especially what happens. And then all of a sudden, God, I pray for them. I pray for their marriage. I pray for their health. I pray for their finances. I pray it goes well for them at work. I pray for them. And all of a sudden, the angst and the madness and the wanting to get back lifts off. It's a way of living free. Overlooking, walking past, praying for someone frees you. Anger, holding it on, on a grudge. All it does, ties you up. I get more and more tied. I get more and more tied. Gives the enemy a place to work. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. For out of it springs the issues of life. Guard your heart. These are things that free you. If I'm mad, if I'm upset. And you know what? It's easy to get upset. I could tell you five things I got upset about this morning, right? That someone didn't do or someone did do at church. Right? I could tell you, but just don't. Live free. Live free. Live, live free. Guard your heart. I decided to just let it go. You know when you come to church and you start to worship? See, what it was, if you can't worship, it tells me that there's a, something's got your heart. There's something going on. I'm just going to be like this. Because it's just, because a posture of worship is just surrender. Posture of worship is just, it's just freedom. A posture of worship. And that's why God says, make a sacrifice of praise. You don't want to do it. It's a sacrifice. But then as you do it, oh my soul, I let go of that issue. I let go of that hurt. I let go of that incident. I let go of that. And so I can walk into where God wants to take me free. 